Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Thank you for being here today. We come to the end of our study of Romans. I'm going to review the book as I did when I started and then do the last chapter. It's going to be a strange class. You just turn to the Romans chapter 1 and you don't need anything on the screen. I want you to remember that this is a book packed with material Because of that reason, I wrote my lesson today. I almost never do that. I wrote it and I've edited it. I'm going to read it. Sorry about that, but if I don't, it'll be too long. If I don't, I'll leave something out. So here we go. Thank you for being here. In our study of Romans, we've come to the last chapter Summary of thank yous, greetings, and unity. The final part of our lesson today will be the reading of a beautiful praise to the Almighty, followed by an amen that ends the great theological book. But before we do that, let's look back. Dateline Corinth, AD 58 or 57, perhaps. Paul is at Corinth. His third and last missionary journey, he goes to, well, his third missionary journey, he has another one to Rome. He's on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He'll be arrested there, and then he'll be, of course, taken to Rome. 28 years have passed since Pentecost, that time when God baptized the apostles with the Holy Spirit, inspired them to preach Jesus to each man in his own language, The Jesus who had died at their hands in order that salvation be available to all those who would receive it. 3,000 were baptized that day on that Pentecost. 28 years have passed. That's just a short time. Something big goes on the horizon just 13 years from now, that is from A.D. 58 The mighty Jerusalem temple will become ashes, melted metal, and stones that are thrown down. The holy city will be in the hands of Roman pagans. It will be called Elia Capitolina. That's the new name for Jerusalem, Elia Capitolina. New temple will be built at the site of God's temple in which Jesus was priest and worship. The new temple will honor Jupiter, the great God of the sky, the God of all kings. Hard to imagine. So when Paul is at Corinth for the last time, he's about three years from her own prison. The church must have written instructions, must have written instructions that will serve when the miraculous gifts of prophecy, tongue speaking, wisdom cease as they would when Judaism is mortally wounded at the fall of Herod's temple. The New Testament had already begun to be written 
but there were no books of systematic theology. God wanted one. He inspired Paul to write it. What a man Paul was. Verse 1 from the book of Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Then down in verse 14, the text of the whole book, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Verse 16, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's the essence of the book of Romans. God needed a man of conviction to write that. Paul was just that man. Beginning in 118, Paul points out that men are sinful, so sinful they will go down any road in order to satisfy themselves. So God gave them up to vile affections. That road quickly led to homosexuality. As a result of that, no desire was prohibited. The Jews must have been happy about this because that didn't include them, at least not much. They hated what Paul said, but it was about their enemies, the uncircumcised pagan Greeks and Gentiles. But in Romans 2, Paul turns from mankind in general to Abraham's seed in particular. They had the law. They were of the circumcision. They were totally satisfied with their concept of their relationship to God. They had it made. They could not be lost. They needed nothing. The tradition of salvation through birth, that is, they were Abraham's descendants, and works righteousness was good enough for them. They must have hated Paul when he told them in 228, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Ouch. He's saying that we're not automatically there. Uh, the Jews were saying that. He's saying that the physical seed of Abraham are not automatically there with Abraham. What's he getting at? It's worse for the Jews. Chapter 1, they assumed he was speaking about the ungodly Gentiles. Chapter 2, they were looking for a way out. In chapter 3, they learned that Paul learned their personal, believed their personal righteousness was no good. Romans 3.10, as it is written, Paul said as he speaks of them, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, I knew the Gentiles were ungodly, but I never thought I was, they might have said. But my Jewish brother, Paul says, in essence, there is hope. 321, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, 
even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who hath faith in Jesus Christ. Simple, wonderful message. The Jews must have been coming under conviction, but they did see a way out. They didn't like it. They didn't like it because it was a Jew and Gentile equal. And that's not the way they'd always believed it. And it's hard to change them. But that's what Paul is teaching. And Paul is a Pharisee of the Pharisees, remember. He's steeped in that doctrine. That's how he grew up. And they know it. In chapter 4, Paul speaks of those whose sins are covered. Those to whom the Lord does not impute or count sin. Then he seemingly gets in the face of the Jewish readers and says this in verse 10. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we saw, for we say that faith was accounted Abraham for righteousness. How was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, Jewish brother, there is no magic in circumcision. You thought there was. It is not there. It identified you as a direct descendant of Abraham. It kept that nation away from the Gentiles. It allowed that nation to be an incubator to bring Christ into the world. But there's no magic salvation here. No salvation at all here. It was not for salvation. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. How? By the death of Christ. Does that make sense? The Jew might have said, I've been so good. I, I, I've followed, I followed Abraham all the way. I've been blessed through Moses. I've, I've kept the law, mostly. And, and you're telling me this is not good enough. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit thought it did. Romans 5, 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of faith. Hmm. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Can we sin a lot more because we have more grace? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, the old version says, certainly not. It means, how shall we who died to sin live any longer than Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Folks, 
That's just too simple. I don't see how that can work. I've had many people to tell me that. It is simple. But you have to complain to God about that. He's the one who thought of it. And he emphasized it and reemphasized it. Look at Romans six sixteen. But God be thanked that you were the servant. No, excuse me. But God be thanked that though you were the slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine in which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. The form of doctrine, baptism into Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection. That's the form. It's the form that we've obeyed. But Paul, if you were made free from sin by Christ in baptism, the law must be sinful. Not so. Romans 7, 7 deserves, uh, discusses that very thing and deserves to be understood. Had it not been for the law, Paul would, uh, Paul said, I would not have known what sin is. The law said, thou shalt not covet. I didn't know that was sin, but the law said that. It didn't seem to be sinful. It didn't bother anybody but me, but the law said it was sinful. What about 7, 9, though? I was alive once without the law, Paul said. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. It seems the law was bad. It was sinful. No, it was Paul who was sinful. Because before he was old enough to be accountable to God, to the law, he was not condemned. But when he became accountable and violated it just once, it slew him. He violated the law. The law was not angry with him. He violated the law. It slew him. He was under sin. Chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Help. Paul has a problem, but he gets help. Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Whatever you think about that law that condemned me back there, I'm not tied to it anymore. I'm through Christ have been delivered. The law was weak through the flesh. God overcame that by sending his son who never violated the law. He fulfilled the law. He thereby condemned sin and made it possible for men to enter a new covenant with God, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. By turning to him and being baptized into the benefits of Christ's death. Christians no longer follow a fleshly law, but a law of the spirit. That being said, chapter 8, beginning at verse 35, is beautiful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, 
things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What security. Nothing and nobody can separate us from Christ. One exception there. I can't separate, separate myself from him, but you can't. The government can't. No preacher can. No elders can. Nobody can separate us from the love of Christ. If we follow him, he is pleased with us. Chapter 9, verse 3, Paul makes a profound statement that is hard for me to wrap this old poor logical mind around. Here's what he says, for I wish that I myself were a curse, I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul's Jewish brothers were not responding to the gospel as they should have. A few of them did, but not many. And Paul said, I could almost wish myself a curse. That word is a big, bad word. It means cut off from Christ. It's an eternal cutting off. And translated that into big cold language, Paul is saying, I could wish myself assigned to hell for my brethren that are from Christ. They're not, they're not saved. If I could get them saved by being accursed, I could take that. Well, Paul, I couldn't. I disagree with you here, but that's what you wanted to say. That's what the Holy Spirit wanted you to say, so you said it. But then he goes on to address the truth of God's uh, election. Verse 11 in chapter 9, the children of, uh, the children, that is, of Jacob and Esau, uh, Jacob and Esau themselves, not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, is said to, to her, the mother, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. We jumped into that without any real preparation for it, but the writer is simply saying God is God. He makes his decision. He does what he wants to do, has a right to do it. And he uses Jacob and Esau here. Before they were born, he selected Jacob, not for salvation. Esau, not for damnation. He selected Jacob as a tie between Abraham and Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's, he had to, he had to do so. He had to make a decision. He could not select Jacob and Esau both. He selected Jacob, the younger, to be that way. Can't argue with God about that. Verse 21, does the potter have power over the clay? Does not the potter have power over the clay? For the same lump to make one vessel for honor, another for dishonor? What if God wanted to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Paul continues to struggle here to get the idea of cross that Jew and Gentile are equal in God's sight. And the Jews, by rejecting Jesus Christ, are making a terrible way for themselves because they're not going to be saved according to their old habits. 
Circumcision is not going to save them. Being the seed of Abraham are not going to save them. is not going to save them. They must be saved through Jesus Christ. Paul continues to emphasize that truth. Emphasize, and emphasize that truth does not lie in us, but God. God makes the decisions. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire, prayer to God for, and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What kind of people were they, Paul? I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're not doing it right. They're trying hard to serve God. They're giving everything they have to serve God, but they're not doing it right. Being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Can you believe that? People who would give their very lives what they believed have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes and we reject him. He's the end of the law of righteousness, but we reject him. You reject your salvation when you do that. Ouch. Gospel is very simple. Romans 10, 8. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I just want to say something here. Won't mean something to some of you, but it will uh, mean a lot to others. The thief on the cross did not confess that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Thank you. Are the Jews getting the idea that God has rejected them? He argues in Romans 11, verse 1, that he is an Israelite. God has not rejected him. He further points out that Elijah, having won a great victory, Mount Carmel, was very distraught when Jezebel said, I'm going to get you. And he turned to God in terror and said, I alone am left and they seek my life. And God said, you poor thing. No, he didn't either. He didn't either. God was not sympathetic. It was more like, man, what are you talking about? Is this the Elijah I know? Actually, he said, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. What a great thing. Elijah, I'm the only one left. No, no, there's 7,001, Elijah. You're just a small, small, small minority. Paul then explains in Romans 11, verse 12, beginning that the Gentiles were able to enter the kingdom more easily in the absence of Jewish leadership. They were as branches grafted into the tree that God had established with Abraham. Then he warned the Gentiles not to become haughty because they're part of that tree, that that tree has accepted them, wild olive tree branches. But uh, to remember that the Jews were native olive tree branches, the tame olive tree branches, and of course, God can graft them in quite easily if they want to be grafted in. All that being said, Paul begs his readers, Romans 12, to present their bodies a living sacrifice to be transformed from the world by a renewal of the mind 
and that invitation belongs to the Jews and Gentiles alike. There is no difference. Here's some other thoughts in chapter 12. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate one to another. Verse 14, bless them who persecute you. Do not curse them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be of the same mind one to another. Verse 17, repay to no one evil for evil. Verse 18, live peacefully with all men if you can. Do not avenge yourselves. Verse 19, verse 21, do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And you can do that. Chapter 13, Paul jumps into politics. What he says makes good sense, but I do shudder when I read that because I realize that Nero Caesar is his emperor and ultimate authority. And I don't know how much you know about Nero Caesar, but he doesn't have a good name at all. Committed incest with his mama, Agrippina, and then he had her killed. Married his cousin, Claudia Octavia, uh, not his cousin, his stepsister. She was 11, he was 16. Divorced her later and had her suffocated in a steam bath. Married Papea Sabrina. Killed her by kicking her in the belly when she was with child. I could go on and it's worse, but I'm not going to. Make you sicker. However, Paul says, let every soul, Romans 13, 1, be subject to the governing authorities. Who's in charge of that, Paul Nero? Okay, just want to know. There's no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. That doesn't mean that God appointed Nero to do all these evil things. It meant he appointed the government. He set the government up. And uh, Nero got in by hook or crook, probably by crook, and uh, does these bad things. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Those who resist will be, bring judgment on themselves. We are to be subject to those that are over us. I sometimes hear people complaining because you didn't pray for the president today or whatever. I do pray for the president. I prayed for every president we have as long as I've been a Christian. I'll continue to do that. I pray that God will bless him and the good things he does and will not encourage him when he does wrong. Romans fourteen eleven. for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. You mean Nero too? Well, he doesn't have that in context, but yes. Every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us must give an account to himself to God. That is what we must do. The Christian's duty, verse, chapter 15, we then who are strong ought to bear the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. That gets hard. People say, I just don't have any time for myself. I have to please everybody else. So what? Jesus Christ came to the earth and lived 30 years to please you and uh, give his life for you. Now he closes with this formal theological dissertation. Verse 30 of 15. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea 
who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful ending to the theological part of this. We come to chapter 16 now. And we hear Paul beginning in verse 1, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you might receive her in the Lord in the manner of, of worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Phoebe was probably a person who delivered mail, Paul's mail for him. That was a dangerous job on occasions and a wonderful job. She is not identified as a doulos slave, but she's identified as a diakonon, from which we get our word deacon. And of course, there are no uh, there are no uh, qualifications for lady deacons as an office in the church. Paul is simply trying to emphasize that she has a special job, and we need to commend her for that, and uh, because she's been such a help. Read Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. When I read this, who risk their own necks for my life, I think of the many travels I've been involved in, and people say, well, did you ever fear for your life? Were you in danger? Not like that. No, I had some problems, of course, but there were those with me sometime who protected me, from any problems I would have. I never feared for my life. I never was threatened, except on one occasion, and that didn't amount to much. But when we travel, and when we travel in places that don't like us, others risk their necks. And Paul said Priscilla and Aquila had risked their own necks for his own life. That is touching to me. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who's the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. The first fruits of Achaia, if you look at your map, that's a big area. Paul preached there in Corinth, and uh, Epinetus was the first. I don't know if it was at Corinth or not, but the first in the area. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the Gentiles, who were also in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosis, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. And Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren that are with them. Philologus, Julia, Nereus, 
his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. You get the idea this is a very personal letter right now. I love it. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. That's the congregation belonging to the Lord is the idea here. I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offensive contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. Very strong language here. He wanted to protect the church, and that's the way we protect the church. For those who are such do not serve our Lord, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, devise uh, the hearts of the simple, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all of us, or to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Timothy, my beloved worker, and Lucius, Jason, Susipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. I thought Paul wrote this epistle. No, he dictated it. Paul had trouble with his eyes. And no, I don't know if that's his thorn in the flesh or not. But he had a secretary. Was churchless on this occasion. <clears throat> Gaius, my beloved, the host of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you. Quartus, a brother, and Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I love these last verses. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience of the faith to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord forever. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful book, a unique book. And those of you who have been in this class Sunday after Sunday might not have learned a lot from me, but we read the whole book. You learned a lot from Paul. And I appreciate your study of it. I know some of you have studied deeply because you come to me with questions to ask that I didn't deal with. And I know you were studying for yourself. And I appreciate that so very, very much. Cannot tell you how precious the book of Romans is to me. I've often said, if I were... If I were put on an island, as John was, and asked what I wanted, I would ask for the Bible. I couldn't have all that. Well, I know the life of Christ. I would say, give me Leviticus, give me Luke, give me Hebrews, and give me Romans. Those are my favorite books in the Bible. You're sitting there saying, Leviticus, Leviticus. Tell you about that later, maybe. Next year or next year. Love the book of Leviticus. I love and appreciate you. I appreciate your tolerance of me. And if I can help with any of this study further, let me know. Uh, Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for giving us this great great book through the pen of, of Paul's secretary from the Holy Spirit that it may help us to know how to be saved and how to stay saved in your service, and how to work for you. 
Thank you for giving us this better understanding of what the church is and what you are. Thank you for hearing us. Continue with this class as we go into another study and bless our teachers that follow. We pray through Christ. Amen. And we have some uh, men on the missions committee. We have some forms back here that you'll need. Will you have those out in the foyer, please, for us? Thank you for our meeting this afternoon. And until next time, don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.